0: You're listening to an iFanboy Special Edition podcast. We're talking with writer Paul Cornell of Captain Britain and MI 13 and Doctor Who. we are here with uh, writer Paul Cornell. This is Josh, and I'm here with... Uh, Connor. Uh, there he is. Uh, hi, Paul. Oh, hi. Thanks very much for having me. You, uh, you sound as if you might be very far away. Where, where are you?
1: Uh, well, I'm, I'm in Oxfordshire, as we speak, sitting at my desk.
0: Oh, my word. Do you have tea there?
1: Actually, just a second ago, you missed it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's oh, well. exactly how it's supposed to go. Um,
1: <laughs> you
0: know, Paul, looking over, you've written a lot of stuff.
1: Well, yeah, thank you. Um, I've been at this quite a long time, actually. It's um, Yeah, and and, uh, I've always wanted to write comics, but it's only in the last couple of years that I've actually had the chance to do that branch of the stuff I do, yeah.
0: Well, it's it's odd. You've actually sort of gone backwards, because a lot of people start in comics and then end up doing TV and novels, and you kind of went the other way around.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think this is part of uh, Marvel's whole uh, let's look to other media to find writers thing.
0: Uh, it, well have you been I mean have you been reading comics your whole life, and it just like this is this is what you, you what you, have you been trying to get here or is you just get lucky with it and
1: well kind of a mixture of all three i mean uh, there's i i started. i I mostly have spent my whole life reading comics mm-hmm. um, from being taught to read by British reprints of Lee and Kirby um when I was tiny and, and thus I was the only kid on my block. Not that we had a block. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Block. (laughs) There there wasn't a house next to mine in the middle of the Wiltshire countryside, never mind a block. But um, I I was the only kid within shouting distance who knew what a base defiler was. Because, you know, Stanley con Shakespearean, you know, oh, thou base defiler. So that's the vocabulary I grew up with. And then uh, I kind of moved from superhero titles to vertigo titles when I was a teenager and going to college. And then when my favourite Vertigo titles kind of changed author or came to an end, I kind of stopped comics. But then I, I came back in when I met my wife, or my wife-to-be, and we went to see the X-Men movie, and she said, Do you have, have any of those comics? <laughs> and I, I, had, I brought down these huge cases from the lot <laughs> and um, got her addicted. And we sort of were walking past a comic shop one day, and she said, I wonder what the X-Men are like now. And so I went back inside, and and I got really re-addicted as a result of romance and started buying all these superhero comics again.
0: What was the first title that really got you when you came back in?
1: Well, um, I did... Um, well, we, we, we have certain titles we associate with our courting, one of which was Exiles, because we, we bought that from the beginning, <laughs> and um, Green Arrow, um, starting with Kevin Smith's run. right? And um, because my wife was immediately interested in Kitty Pride Um, we we dived into the back issue bins and immediately got the Pride and Wisdom series from a few years before. Then, the whole Pete Wisdom run on Excalibur. Um, So, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from. I I have a powerful association between Pete Wisdom and my own love life. What can I say?
0: Well, so how did you get from... uh, from sort of having, having being a fan of Pete Wisdom to to writing a series about him then
1: well um, amazingly that was the character Nick Lowe asked me about um, when um, uh... are, are you breaking out of a prison right now <laughs> well it, of course it's an urban wasteland outside and there's some kind of riot going on <laughs> um, I- Across the churchyard, where I can see those wonderful um, trees, and uh, it's a nice sunny day here at Oxfordshire, and there's some, some hideousness happening outside. But sorry about that. Is that. How's that for the recording?
0: It's, it's fine. According to, according to the spooks that I've been watching, that's pretty much what it's like all the time over there, as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah, there are flashes of gunfire in the night. It, it's extraordinary. Um, what was the question again? It was a good question, but I've uh, forgotten it.
0: You got to Pete. You, you did the, the oh, yeah. first thing you did with Marvel was was Wisdom, and and that was uh, the character you were a big fan of, apparently. Well,
1: well, yeah. Mark, Mark Miller sent an email after one of my Doctor Who episodes saying, "I really like that. Would you like to work for Marvel Comics?" I, I wish one could frame emails and put them on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely moment that one. And um, yeah, so I got into the process. I met Nick, and his first thought was, "Let's do a Pete Wisdom British Intelligence style comic." Mm-hmm. And he sent me piles of um, Wisdom photocopies from comics I already had. So it was kind of like, way hey.
2: What is it about Pete Wisdom? Like, what, what, well, what is it that really connected you, t- you to him?
1: Well, I, I love the kind of British everyman aspect. Um, mm. there's, I have a favorite moment from that Excalibur run where he's being, you know, interrogated by a psychic mutant who's looking into the depths of his mind and confronting him with his greatest nightmares and all that. And uh, the psychic finally sort of explodes because he he sees in Pete's mind things that 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 are much more evil and tentacly than he was expecting. And uh, it's all turned around in a wonderfully ironic um, British way. And um, that's what I really like about him, actually. He's... um, He could be a superhero, but he just thinks uh, wearing a costume would be ridiculous. And maybe maybe he hasn't quite got the abdomen for it. And um, he just likes splitting up that fashion line with a long coat. And all of this, and, and being a certain age, and being... Um, if, if I wasn't happily married, romantically rather wistful and um, useless, blundering from r- random shag to random shag like a man hopping through a minefield, as he does. Um, I, I find all of this tremendously relatable. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think that's the thing about him. He's a, a very relatable British character. A British male reading him will know where he's coming from. I, I think the voice, I think he's sort of like a younger Michael Caine. Uh, so I have him pointing a lot in the comic, you know, kind of insisting like that, which uh, I don't know why I just did Dick Van Dyke. Um, do, do, do you know, I loved it the other day when you were doing the, the review and uh, you went into um, John the Scroll impersonations. And I'd actually just... Um, got over. Um, I was in a big traffic accident. So I had broken ribs, and you actually hurt my sides to the point of physical pain through your John the Scroll impersonation. So, well, I, well I done, uh, Good just Good job. You're welcome. Uh, if your aim was to cause me physical pain, well, mission accomplished.
0: Well, once again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let me ask you, and and I don't want to be too insensitive about this, but Wisdom wasn't really. It wasn't like didn't make a huge impact on the scene. Um, No, no,
1: I I think I've met everybody who read it. Yeah. Individually.
0: I mean, uh, to be to be completely honest, I don't think I ever heard of it, but you still decided to stick with the character and then use him in the Captain Britain MI-13 series.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I remember, actually, you mentioned it in passing on the uh, podcast. Uh, somebody wrote in saying, I really like that Wisdom series, and the three of you said, Wisdom? What's that? Is that a Vertigo <laughs> book? No, that's a Marvel book that's like a Vertigo book. And you left it at that. And, and I think Josh said something about there were fairies on the cover, and that just ruled it out. Not that I'm bitter. But... Um, <laughs> Well, but, but no, just
0: because I can cause you physical pain, I also thought I would also try for psychological pain. So just to get everything covered,
1: two out of two. Yeah, and um, but but no, I mean uh, he's kind of the obvious choice. I mean, sort of. This is the title that Nick was kind of originally after uh, an MI13 title,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, you know Pete's very much a part of that. If you're doing a, a British superhero intelligence title, he's he's going to be in the mix. Um, Captain Britain is way, way high in the mix, though. And it, it's, we're sort of, um, we're playing it off all these different relationships within the team. And Cap and Peter are really important. Because uh, in the past, when they've met, they've been kind of a little at loggerheads. But at, at the moment, because everybody's been doing loggerheads for a couple of years now, notably Civil War, and Marvel's Heroes are still at loggerheads, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to find that next thing along, which I think everybody is going to come to, and it's just the natural thing. I'm not claiming any great prescience here. Mm. Uh, of seeing what happens when heroes get along with each other and giving our bunch good reasons to be together and certainly dramatic tension and dramatic conflict, but also giving them a cause and a uniting thing and finding points of commonality between uh, Brian and Pete. And they're getting quite a fast friendship now, and find that easy to write, because they've got a lot more in common than, than that which divides them, notably both tremendous sense of duty. Wait a minute, is, is Brian not dead? Uh, well, of course, I'm. Uh, he is, as we speak, dead. Yes. Uh,
0: he is the title character.
1: Uh, yes, indeed, and he is thus dead. But, you know, noticeably, I haven't been saying Brian throughout this interview, I've been talking about Captain Britain. <laughs> sure. And... And his or her or its relationship to Pete. Um, and, well, wait, uh, let,
2: let, let me ask, because Captain Captain Britain, you, you described Pete Wisdom and why you like him. Captain Britain seems to me to be as far from that as you can get with the costumes and the, and the and the the brightly colored. I mean, yeah, he he is not the guy who's who is not wanting to be a superhero. What what is it about Captain Britain? Is he as appealing to to the British as Captain America is to the Americans?
1: oh, well, that's what we're after. Um, And I think that hasn't been in place very often before. Um, He's kind of, in America, he's always seen as the other. And um, he's often been written, often very well, as that other thing. Notably, uh, Chris Claremont's excellent um, Excalibur run, where um, the whole British superhero th- team thing is an excuse to do a wonderfully warm, fluffy, um, surreal, and gentle comedy, and um, that's great. It, it's a book that feels like a hug, um, <laughs> but but at the same time, it's not uh, Captain Britain as our Captain America, right. and to a British audience, we always I think we always felt when people like Alan Moore weren't writing him and doing brilliant wonderful things I'm also a huge fan of the Jay, Jamie Delano run that um, uh, you know we deserve a Captain Britain who is our Captain America right and um, uh, so he isn't the other he's the obvious thing he's the central thing and what I really wanted to do with this book um, and which I got to do in the first issue and of course won't be able to do anymore because he's dead right. um, is um, put a Captain Britain who is our who is our cap uh, but who Brit- British people will say yes that 's our hero, uh, both in the book and in the readership, yeah, and uh, you know I think it's it 's actually quite a bit of repositioning because even Alan Moore, because this was you know his goer to superhero title, and I think at the time he thought it was probably his only one, um, he wanted to deconstruct the hero, you know it was kind of a step on the way to Miracle Man for him, so he doesn 't do the central steadfast British hero either he does the falling apart deconstructed hero um, so you know I, 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 I have this wonderful um, source for stuff Stuart Vandal who um, works on the official handbooks um, who I talk to about continuity things and I asked him is, is Captain Britain an alcoholic and he got really passionate and he sent me um, a list of uh, the four occasions upon which Brian Braddock has been seen drinking <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> Two of which he got drunk. Um, once he gets drunk a bit too much at Excalibur, and they say you're getting a bit uh, drunk a bit too much, so he throws all his whiskey away in the way that alcoholics can't, you know. Right, and um, you know he—it's things like this that every weakness and neuroses has been projected onto this man, and mm-hmm. we're just going to be rid of a lot of that and um, uh, give him some more or her or it, some more central um, dramatic conflict, but still retaining, you know, the, the, the heroism. I'm, I'm really enjoying Dan Dare at the moment, as I know you you are. Oh, it's so good. And and that's proper British heroism. I mean, that's the Dan I remember from my own childhood. And I want some of that for Captain Britain. You know, I want some of that genuine um uh, what might be mocked to stiff upper lipness, a certain mm-hmm. stoicism, a certain emotional—not deadness, but an unwilling to share emotionally—that nevertheless uh, creates a sort of toughness. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I've been going on and on. Please, please, <laughs> do that's ask a, away. That's why we're here.
0: Uh, well, let me <laughs> let me ask you: you you put together a superhero team, and sort of sort of the holy grail in superhero comics is sort of the. The forming of the team and putting things together. I mean, were you were you were these the characters you were given, or did you sort of place them all together specifically, or what, what were you thinking when you were putting this team together?
1: Well, it's it's a bit of both. Um, originally, I just created a big list of every British hero I might want to use, and I, I sort of found every British hero, including guys who'd wandered on for one panel in um, the Civil War frontline. There is a Welsh dragon who is in Civil War Frontline very, very briefly. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, so we went through a big list. And I always say about this book that it's a a three-way team. It's me, editor Nick Lowe, and artist Leonard Kirk. And for me, coming from television, this is great, because, uh, you know, there's somebody you can instantly say, how about this to? And he will either be able to say yes or no within a day. And television is great, but there's lots and lots of people to satisfy. It's a big team. Mm. And you know, you've know you got an awful lot of levels, and you won't get an answer immediately. And um, I would say it's almost a co-write between me and Nick Lowe, um, about a 90-10 co-write on my side, mm. because he comes up with fantastic ideas. He's always there to shape what I'm doing, to pull it back, to say... Actually, to sometimes say, you haven't quite got the gra- comics grammar here yet, though he's giving me a wider and wider leash on that, so I guess I'm I'm getting there. And and also, he comes up with cracking, immediate suggestions that change the whole course of what we're doing. I, I'm really pleased to be working with him. It's it's a great relationship.
0: It, well, it must be uh, fun in comics but to be able to sort of change direction that quickly, whereas I'm guessing in, in the television shows you can't really do that.
1: Well, no, it's like an oil tanker turning. Right. You know, we've got a, we've got a choppy little speedboat, or a pedal boat. And um, but um, uh, no, so choosing the team, oh, yeah. some of it was was me saying I want the Black Knight, and uh, some of it was him saying What about Blade? Um, and I think he also said What about Spitfire? Uh, and um, you know, it's sort of we we got it chopped down through that to to numbers that would work for a team. But then I said, oh, but everybody in every British hero is de facto a member of MI-13, so we can just pull in a, a fun hero for, you know, a a two-page appearance or, you know, for a couple of issues. And that's working really well. I'm, I'm really enjoying that.
0: I was going to ask you about Blade. Uh, so he's going to join the team, and apparently
1: he's from London? Uh, yeah. Um, in, in fact, he's he wasn't just born here. He, he spent something like the first... 20 years of his life here, became um, Blade the Vampire Hunter in London. Um, all of this was more than a century ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and um,
0: So Wesley Snipes really ruined that for everyone.
1: <laughs> well, I think he, he's been in America for a very long time and lost his... Um, he, he, does, he doesn't suddenly get a British speech uh, pattern when he mm-hmm. comes back over here. But, um, I, I'm really a fan of the movies. I'm sort of doing a little bit of adapting the movie Blade back into comics um, via the recent series, Mm. and um, sort of taking the best from everywhere and putting him in a British setting, which is is really interesting. He adds something to the team. The relationships he he creates within the team are really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a very uh, different pairing, I suppose. I I mean, will they be fighting vampires, or will he, you know? Is he good for other things?
1: Uh, Yeah, he's good for other things. Um, He's he's good for uh, harsh truths and being the absolute um, fanatical warrior when he has to be. Um, And being the one who will say, no, we just have to kill them all. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we have, at the end of issue four, it becomes clear what the ongoing aim of the team is to be, why they're going to be a team. Mm-hmm. And in Issue 5, we sort all of that out, and Epilogue offers four issues, and Prologue are next four issues. And um, there is going to be an ongoing purpose to this team which will uh, w- with which Blade fits tremendously.
0: Are you, are you are you tied into... I mean, how long are you tied into Secret Invasion and at what point do you sort of go off into your own thing, I guess? Or, or uh, is
1: it depth? First, first four issues are a Secret Invasion tie-in. Uh, fifth issue is an epilogue to that. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that's where we're where we're, at, where we're actually going to be pumping extra hard to try and keep the level of interest up. Oh, I've got to tell you, just announced yesterday, okay. we, we sold out issue two again. We're on a third printing now. <laughs>
2: That's good. It's a very uh, popular uh, book.
1: And about six covers be, across two issues so far. It, 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 it's like image all over again. But not image, <laughs> what am I talking about? Um, uh, it, it
2: must be very gratifying to have this book be so
1: popular. Oh, it's amazing, especially over here. where That, that Gordon Brown story in Britain was enormous. You, I was being you, well-
0: you keep mentioning things before I get to them in my questions, and I don't appreciate <laughs> it.
1: Sorry, pardon me. You, you haven't noticed the webcam.
0: Tell me about this Gordon Brown story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was suddenly woken up, and I was recording a radio play in BBC Manchester, and I was woken up at 5am by Radio 5, who wanted to um, suddenly talk to me about Gordon Brown. Um, We thought putting the Prime Minister in issue one of the comic was going to get us, you know, a mention in the Gossip Diary media column in the Guardian on page 26. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it was a slow news week, and... um, suddenly we're all over the place in the British tabloids and actually not often a very silly story. We were in a lot of broadcast media. They, they gave the comics the credit quite a lot mm-hmm. and nicely um, because if you're in London it's pretty easy to pop into Forbidden Planet. You know, we, we did see sales go up as a result and uh, I'm very pleased with that. Uh, Joe Quesada found himself on, uh, you know, various uh, news talk shows talking about Gordon Brown it, it was a surreal little week so um, so just
2: for people who, who aren't who aren't there I don't know explain what what the reaction was and uh,
1: well, uh, 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 our prime minister at the moment is going through a choppy patch as all politicians mm-hmm. do almost all the time and um, the idea of him being portrayed in the comic being uh, decisive and, and useful and solid in uh, a crisis really appealed to the satirical sense of an awful lot of um british newspapers and broadcasters it turned out so um all in all we didn't expect it we certainly didn't plan it um but we i'm now going to bring out a range of british politicians who will be appearing in issue absolutely maybe we should have the scrolls just attack parliament there and then i don't know but uh yeah
2: so does all this comic book success give you more more uh, credits with your wife? Does she now look at you differently? Sort of. There's is there a glow about you now? T-
0: TV was fine, <laughs> but comics.
1: There is a bit of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think she would um, she would prefer it if I had the big eyes and floppy hair of a, a manga hero, uh, because her, her big thing is anime and manga. And, oh, she switched. Uh, she
2: switched over then.
1: Uh, well, yeah, she did. Um, <laughs> she. She kind of uh, she got sucked in through comics, if you like, and then moved over to um, you know that side of stuff.
2: Um, Man, we're doomed. We're doomed. Western comics are doomed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, if you include everything as comics, my right. goodness, you could say the um, the form has never been more successful than a lot sure. of ways. That's
2: true. Absolutely.
0: Uh, so just to finish up on MI13, are there any of the characters, uh, I mean, have there any that have stood out to you that, that you've really come to like over the course of writing it that you were surprised about?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of really fond of them all, but the Black Knight is certainly getting all my, my love at the moment, you know. I mean, um, there's something, because uh, uh, he's been played in so many different ways, mm-hmm. and there's something, there's something about comics characters, they're sort of, because almost uniquely. In comics, a new creator will feel able to mess with the history and the the character of a character. And it sort of gives uh, long-term comics heroes a kind of layering. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people think that they know what the core values of a, a character are, but they actually change quite appreciably. And if the creator's been successful, people kind of assume that layer was always there. You know, unless it's Hawkman or something, where they've actually had to formalise the process of uh, change. But, but with Dane, who'd been written in so many different ways and uh, had kind of piled up these kind of geological layers of character, finding a way to play him was really interesting. And I think I, I did such, such lengthy work on, you know, reading up about him and finding a way to get into him that he's... They're all my voice in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I really love Spitfire's brittleness and that World War Two stoicism about her. And the fact that she is still a young woman despite that and doesn't talk all jolly hockey sticks all the time. <laughs> and, and, of course, Pete is Pete, and I adore Cap. And John the Scroll has given me another voice, which I'm really loving as well. I imagine uh, that's going to be a ton of fun. Oh, goodness, yeah. And, and of course, Phasia mm-hmm. gives me uh, this... Uh, this Whole other uh, dimension to stuff, um, I went along to um, a BBC Wales um, Faith in Broadcasting Conference uh, to talk about my work on Doctor Who, and I met these um, lovely bunch of Muslim ladies, um, and I told them, you know i 've got uh, a Muslim hero coming up, heroine in um, Captain Britain, and they were all, oh, yeah, you, know, you know, send it to us, let us see' So I, I asked Nick, and I've sort of got them on board as a kind of um, unofficial uh, checking over what I'm doing committee, especially since one of their daughters is a young doctor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's been uh, just a, a sort of a way into a culture in Britain I didn't know enough about, and it has given me a real... You know, a, a real way of looking into this. I'll um, say,
0: a character like that is—I mean, you—you could be playing with fire uh, with that kind of character. I mean, but um, it seems like it's going over well.
1: I, I, I think you're only playing with fire if you do it crap. True. Uh, to be absolutely honest, um, because to be honest, there's a whole audience out there who, uh, as, as who I've met, who really would like to be represented like this. They're not necessarily going to be natural readers of comics. Mm-hmm but at the same time we all like we all would like to think that there is a comic superhero out there representing our own interests i i think captain oxfordshire as played by Stephen fry would probably go down really well and um <laughs> uh, but um no so uh, you know it, you've just got to basically be honest to the character and not doing um you know, outrageous things with her for the sake of outrageous things. Mm-hmm. And, and since she's a hero, she'll be behaving heroically. Right. Um, it doesn't actually fence off anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, not going to be, she's not going to be drinking alcohol. She's not going to be behaving in a promiscuous way. But goodness, that counts for most of our characters except Pete, frankly. Um, in that we've had four issues of High Speed War book, where nobody's really had time to behave in a promiscuous way apart from Pete. And actually, it's been four issues. Um, I'm really going to have to get him a relationship of some sort quite soon. But because um, that part of my brain labelled Pete wisdom sort of says he ought to be doing this shortly. Who knows who will? I don't know. Um, but, um, there's a hint of it with Tink, uh, again. Um, but no, Fazia's been just an absolute dream, and her voice, again, all these different voices really appeal to me, and I love the way the voices go together, and th- this sounds almost like I've got some kind of horrible mental condition, doesn't it? I hear the different voices and see how they go together. Well, it uh, sounds,
0: it sounds to me like you really like writing a book, and I think that that shows, which is...
1: Well, yeah, I, I, it- I just, it's a dream come true frankly
0: you're also you've got uh fantastic four uh, true story coming up which is mm-hmm. sounds like a pretty unique kind of take on the on fantastic four
1: well i, I was really pleased to be asked by tom brevo um you know do you have a ff story for a miniseries and um i wanted to do them as explorers because that's the FF I really enjoy and had to come up with something they hadn't explored and fiction uh they hadn't explored so I sort of sorted out a Marvel Fictoverse, where all fiction lives, and sorted out a battle against an original Marvel villain, a one of the first wave Marvel villains, created by Stan Lee that the Fantastic Four have never met, according to my um, continuity guys. Which takes <laughs> t- doing, because everybody met everybody, particularly in the 1990s when nobody was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, hope maybe we've missed it, and everybody was I don't no, they met. but um, but now I'm really enjoying it it's the Fantastic Four venturing into fiction um, in the fictocraft um, to sort out uh, the human race's vast losing all sense of excitement and being all depressed problem um, which is something to do with books, there's a, a problem in the relationship between the human race and books so the Fantastic Four plunge into the unconscious mind of Willy Lumpkin um, who is a tremendous reader and um, go to find um, the world of books that uh, 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 at least that of those whose authors have been dead 75 years.
2: Was it hard? Yep. To, was, that, was that a hard series to p- to pitch, or did that go over really well right away?
1: Oh, Tom! Tom really seemed to like the idea, and um, the art style really suits it. It's this uh, really kind of swirly faux manga Euro style, which we, we've got Ben Grimm as a kind of. Um, Uh, idealized uh, chocolate soldier. Not chocolate, but you know what I mean. When when you've got a a Napoleonic War soldier with a big black hat and um, buttons down his tunic and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you stare into the Fictiverse, the Fictiverse also stares into you. And um, when he meets the Dashwood sisters from Sense and Sensibility, um, they see him as their hero, as a dashing lieutenant. And um, I get to have next issue reader, I clobbered him. And, um, I should hope. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it is a tr- it is a truth universally acknowledged that, <laughs> that on occasion it is clobbering time, and um, and you know Johnny gets to meet uh, Mr Toad and all that, and um, and it, it's it, it's kind of irony hits twee in a sort of uh, extraordinary collision. There's big adventure too, and um, it all gets rather dark as well because. If you're amongst fiction and you can be, any moment, become part of it and be affected by the things around you, then if things start taking a dark turn, they can accelerate in that direction, it all gets a bit scary. And I'm loving the covers as well as the interior art. I think we've, we've got a really nice team on that one.
2: When do we, when do we see that come out?
1: Um, first issue's uh, this month. Um, I really should know which week this month. Um, maybe next uh, week. Uh,
0: Soon Kill enough, I. before before San Diego, that's that's really the one you want to hit the thing. I can honestly say that sounds like no other Fantastic Four story I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, but it's not a good thing. That's
0: no, me. it's a very good because I can I can imagine when somebody says pitch something for Fantastic Four, you have to be like, oh my god, it's oh. like pitching a Simpsons episode. There's nothing left at this point.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> finding something I hadn't done was was really pleasing. Uh,
0: mm. Now, now you are are you know primarily known for your work with Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. As far as I can, I can tell. I, I'll be completely honest with you. We don't know much about Doctor Who. We know of it. Oh. I know it's a thing. It's a very big thing for some people. I, I mean, what is it about a, Doctor Who that's such a? It's a
2: very. It's, it's, it's been, been on. has been on TV for seventy-five years or something like that. Right. It, it's like Star Wars, but with a scarf.
1: It, it started on the day President Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. Nice. Um, uh, it's um, there's nothing else linking those two things I'm sure and um, it's uh, just this huge British institution that had lain fallow for a while and then Russell T. Davis the great writer brought it back and we get huge audiences this is a, an SF or fantasy show that is actually the biggest drama in Britain or that gets the highest ratings for a non-soap drama in Britain when it's on I, I, there isn't a showing the American consciousness like that. Uh, Because most um, American SF and fantasy shows are niche shows, no matter how successful they are. I mean, Heroes and Lost recently have been top ten shows and, I guess, The X-Files. But never a number one, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, um, And over here, it's just... It's not seen so much as SF, but a kind of the epitome of family viewing. You know, the thing which... the, The toddlers to the granny we'll all be in the same room watching at the same time. You know, thats it's a tremendously satisfying show to work on because the next day, everybody in my little town, you know, watched my show. And when I was working on medical shows and things like that, that just was not the case. And, and it's been the thing I've been a fan of all my life. You well, know, that,
0: that was my question. I mean, were you just a huge fan of Doctor Who forever? I mean, mm-hmm. in, in this, so this must be like a dream come true, really.
1: Well, well, yeah. I mean, I became a TV writer in order so that when Doctor Who was brought back, I would stand the chance of working on it. You're very
2: forward-thinking.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very much. That was my plan. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've written loads of Doctor Who novels and audio plays and things like that. And, um, you know, it's uh, it was also my first comics. It's really the, the central um, thread of my life. And it's really nice that I've been able to use that to go off and you know, do other stuff as well. Can, um, you
2: I, the, can you explain the premise of Doctor Who to people who, who, who oh haven't seen it?
1: Oh goodness. Um, okay, well, let me see. 45 years of continuity, starting now. Um, <laughs> no, actually, it's not like that at all. It's very simple. It's like the Lone Ranger. The Doctor is a Time Lord. He travels through time and space in a police box, which is a sort of old-fashioned British police call box, only used by policemen. And in 1963, that was a very ordinary thing to see on the streets. Um, But it was discontinued in the 1980s, so now it's just the TARDIS, his spaceship, two kids and nothing else. Um, He shows up, things are going wrong, aliens are invading either on an alien planet or Earth, either right now or back in the past, um, and he defeats the aliens and makes everything well again, um, using only his wits and his great intelligence and never a violent solution. He, own, he doesn't like guns at all. He doesn't like carrying them. Um, it's him and his human companions against monstrous aliens um, with only intelligence to back him up. And it's, it's kind of a horror show for eight-year-olds. Um, it's designed to scare eight-year-olds. Uh, I don't think... There ever has been another show with that premise, really. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is, is the show now different than it was in the '80s? Is the, is the premise different, or is it just, is the same, just updated?
1: Um, it's it's I, the same. It's been the same premise throughout, but the lead actor has changed a lot.
2: Yeah, um, I no, know, I know. When I was a kid, it was always like on television. In terms of there was like the PBS channels always had it, and it was always there. Mm. And I always see it, to see it, and then I'd always be intimidated by it because you'd heard it had been on for 45 years, and you were just. Like ah, and and you well, turn it off for a few seconds, and it'd be
1: seem overwhelming, and there were scarves and smoke, and, <laughs> and Yes, just, there we are. It stopped in nineteen eighty nine. Was cancelled.
0: Well, l- let me ask you as the as the person clearly who I know who is the foremost authority on Doctor Who, who where where would be a good place to start?
1: Um. Well. Pick any of the new episodes, um, really, will give you a feeling for it, because it's it's sort of like an anthology show, because the Doctor shows up at a new planet every time. I mean, there is continuity in that some of these villains come back quite often, Um, and, you know, we learn about the lives of his companions and their families and stuff, but, you know, it's designed to be friendly to pick up on. Um, If you want to go back for the old show... um, well, you'll find loads of uh, websites with different people's opinions on what was good or what was bad. Um, you find an early Tom Baker will give you uh, a sense of, you know, what, 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 what the show was like when it was big and gothic. Because uh, it's gone through all these different flavours and phases. And um, that's one of the lovely things about the, fa- about the fandom. We can never quite decide on what's really great, because it's changed so much. It's all these different things. So, you know, there's all this interesting, crunchy breadth to it.
0: You've done all sorts of different things. I mean, you've written for TV, you're doing radio plays, you've done novels, you're doing comics now. I Mm. mean, does it all seem sort of like the same thing to you? Do they each require sort of a different type of of concentration, or, or, I mean, what do you prefer?
1: Um, Well, it's, you have to sort of mentally shift gears to write each different thing. And um, I love prose. I mean, I think, any writer who's had the chance to work in prose will say that's your ultimate. That's what what everything else stems from. Um, because you're in control of everything, because you can um, vary the speed of thoughts, the reading speed, how quickly things are described. Um, you are the director and the lighting guy and all the cast. Um, but what I love about the different forms is... Um, It's all about economy in different ways. On television, it's about money. Um, You don't have much money to spend. You're not going to be out in the wilds at night. Um, And your supporting cast aren't going to speak unless they really have to. Um, And you're trying to get over um, the information on the scene as quickly as possible. Um, In comics, you've got an infinite budget money-wise because you can show a billion scrolls uh, although the artist is going to kill you yeah. that's what, um, but you can show things that would be far too expensive for television but you've only got so much room on the page so many number of panels so many words you can have per, per balloon um, so it's a question of marshalling your resources in different ways um, uh, and moving um, moving from writing television to comics is especially difficult because when you write a TV scene, you'll say he walks through the door. Um, when you write a comics panel, okay, what does that involve? You've got a still frame There is, Has he grabbed the doorknob? Is he halfway through the door? Is he looking back over his shoulder? Is he through the door? You know, it's um, it's about not writing movement. I think a lot of guys, myself included, who came, came from television, found it difficult and... Um, it only becomes instinctive over a long time to, to work out where you break up um, a a moving scene of people talking or moving to is fitted onto a comics page. This has become. really you, Are you guys still there? Have you no,
2: I'm, I'm wrapped. So dull. Is is um, the is the impulse to over-explain in the beginning to write too much into your yeah, script and much. too much into the into the into the dialogue and everything?
1: Very much. I'm 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 still too talky on occasion. Um, you can usually sum it up much more quickly um, much more quickly even than in tele, uh, especially when you 've got a really great artist like Leonard who can do facial expression so well um, but there is there is an advantage over television in that you can go back and uh, you know adjust speech balloons to suit exactly the mood of that face mm-hmm. Uh, um, which you can only do on television if they're facing away or, you know, you can slip in a bit of dialogue um, post-production. post if you're, if
2: you're George Lucas and you can re- redo their faces. But
1: I've, I've noticed Sorry. that a lot of
2: TV writers will come in and, and their first couple of works will be, you know, very wordy because I guess they're not used to the, the format and the style, so it's, it's an adjustment period. You you seem to handle it pretty quickly. You've come. come. Well,
1: thank you. I I think I think in Wisdom, Wisdom was my learning period. Really, Um, I think we hit the ground running with Cap, and um, uh, you know, there's uh, early on in Wisdom, I'm clearly finding my feet. I think we really get there by the end of the volume, and the whole volume really works as as one story, which I'm very proud of. Um, With Cap, I'm just. Immensely pleased. I'm just getting the pages in of issue four now, and they look so marvellous, and the ending just looks so great. Leonard just makes me continually look like a really good writer, <laughs> and that's the really nice thing. You can just, um you know, bask in the reflected glory of a great artist.
0: Now you've got. I mean, you've got a couple of more projects that you can't talk about, so we can't talk about those. Those will be in the future, I guess. Um, <laughs> But that's gonna be how do you you've got a, how do you get all this stuff going on? I mean, I feel I mean, are you working on things a bit here and there? Do you like work on a novel in the day t- in the morning and then shoot um, I, off to the writers' room for the
1: TV show? And no, I I, I try and um, uh, well over here we don't have the writers' room culture, so yeah, I guess you're, not. yeah, you're working on the TV show here. But um, I try and do two thousand words of novel no matter what I'm doing, um, and either five pages of TV or five pages of comics. And at the moment, it's working out so that you know the spinning plates haven't got in the way of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is good, um, and it's quite refreshing. A change is as good as a rest, and moving from one thing to another, in fact, feels like a you know a a, a nice deal at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm pitching. Um, I have show pitches at the moment for my own shows at two at the BBC, one at ITV and, um, there's also a couple of other things I'm doing, so but, you know, I'm going to stay put in comics, I I, I very much understand, um, you know the urge of people who are in the writer's room environment who are writing multiple episodes of ongoing shows like the wonderful Alan Heinberg um, to say, you know, I can't do justice to this and do justice to comics at the same time, I'm going to choose and then come back later um but I'm going to, I really, one of the things I always loved in comics are guys who stay on for really long runs. You know, Marv Wolfman on Tomb of Dracula, Claremont on X-Men, um, people who just put down the work for a long haul, and and I'm just putting in my first little, um, oh, we don't necessarily know what that means right now, but maybe way down in the future we'll find out what that meant. Mm. I mean, this feels like just the most natural thing in the world to me, and I'm hoping we can do a long haul. We definitely have 12 issues of Cap, which is a fantastic commitment from Marvel. And, um, you know, the way it's been performing, I, I'm we all want issue 13. You know, we all, we all want just to keep going and keep going. And, you know, I'm hoping we're all... We're doing things to try and cultivate an actual dialogue between us and the readership, you know, um... Uh, talking about where my blog is, saying come along and use that as a letters page. You know, um, that way of pulling people in and saying this is your comic, you know, this is here for you. It's not just that British book and it's not that other book. It's a book which does blockbuster superhero widescreen stuff with um, the intelligent bits, with the character bits, with the emotional bits. You know, I am I, I, liking it to we're after the Lord of the Rings movies you've got the big action sequences, but you care about the characters so much. And this is sort of what made me love comics when I was a kid. You know, I've been reduced to tears by comics panels, and and actually I still am. Um, And this is horrible.
0: It happens to me more frequently than I would like to admit.
1: (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) But but actually it happened to me most recently because of Leonard. I mean, one shouldn't talk about this about one's own comic, but he'd just drawn a... A facial expression with a particular emotion on it so well that I just got it on my screen and went, oh, oh no, oh. <laughs> and, um, but I, I cry easily. I was crying at a Lord of the Rings trailer in the, the cinema one. But, um, <laughs> but I, actually... What part? Oops, um, it's, um, it was for the third one where it looked like Aragorn might get his sword and reclaim his birthright and I was just in big bad tears. And my wife, <laughs> me, my wife sitting beside me can always tell because there's this motion I make, this sort of, there's this wobbling of my shoulders that happens when we're sitting next to each other in the cinema, which sort of says, oh, he's crying again. But but the, the comic that did this most recently for me actually was the last issue of Buffy, Drew Goddard. Isn't he good?
2: It's so, it's, it's, it was ridiculously
1: good. Yeah. It, it, was, it was Dracula be, becoming sort of all, uh, you know, kind of serious and heroic again after a lot of Buffy kind of, let's say, Undermine the, the myth sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. um goodness, that that guy that guy has a if he wants it, he's got a real future in comics. He's so good. And Mechagor <laughs> <laughs> No that,
2: that that no, that series was just um an emotional gut punch after one after another. <clears throat>
1: uh, well an emotional gut punch after a certain amount of um um well um Tomfoolery stimulation at the first issue, but anyway, you
0: got. I mean, you're you're you seem like a guy who you love this medium. You've gotten to a place where you, you're getting to do all these things that you love, and and it, Lord knows that everybody who reads comics thinks that they can make them. Like, what kind what kind of advice would you give to people who want to get involved with this stuff? Like, what did you what was the single most important thing that you did to get where you are?
1: Oh, I think um, I do have one sentence for aspiring writers, um, which is um, when offered criticism of your work um by somebody who is well placed to give it that is an editor or a publisher or somebody who knows of what they speak this is not a sentence anymore it's a paragraph um listen to what they're telling you and change your work because of it um that sort of you know always keeps you moving along the way um you can tell a non-writer in those conversations because when the editor says, you shouldn't have done this, they'll go, no, 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 you see, what I was trying to aim for, and they won't just go, yes, I'll change that. And that actually, it hurts a lot to be told that stuff. And it hurts a lot to say, yes, I'll change that. But that's where wisdom lies, being punched. But in terms of the one thing I did in the career, oh, goodness, always be nice, be sociable, don't be an idiot. Um don't be an idiot. Well, yeah, because you know people like working with people who are cool. Who, I mean, I mean to say, who are friendly. Who, <laughs> who don't get on their high horses at a moment's notice. Um, uh, you wouldn't think so, looking at the comics industry. Frankly, it seems to have been organised along entirely different <laughs> principles. But um, you know, you see, you see at interviews with old creators who say, you know, and I'm picking, I'm making up a, an example here. They made me change the colour of his cape, and I didn't think that could—I didn't think I could work under those circumstances. So I walked. In television, it's like, my goodness, that these guys don't know what bullying is. You know, you work on a TV show, you're going to get more hassle than that immediately as you walk through the door. It's going to continue for the whole production. I, I think there's maybe a reason why—not that it was ever like that on Doctor Who, which is a lovely place full of lovely people—and you know, I, I. Yes will forever be available for selection by them, because they're great. But on other shows I've worked on, it's like that. I think this is one, one reason why the comics industry employs so many TV writers, because we become pre-bullied. You know, You're talking about, about Coronation Street, aren't you? Yes, that was a terrible, terrible experience. I bounced down the steps. Um, <laughs> but, um, but no, um, we're not about to leap up and down about tiny things. And um, not that you know, a lot of comics writers do, but some do. Yeah, so I think it's, it's being, being a, a, a sociable guy, always looking to learn, you know, kind of take it, grabbing those tiny... Every, everybody who's got into writing has a different way they got into it. We've all got a different mad story, because there's not one ladder, there's not an apprenticeship process. Mm-hmm. You've always got to grab that one opportunity and hang on. It's it's always tough. Comics especially, so it took me a long, long time to get into comics.
0: And then it was from a random email from a guy who watched the show,
1: which is who exactly. happened to be Mark Miller. <laughs> yeah, there we are. And, you know, you can't say to, uh, you you know, an aspiring comics writer, well, I think you should get Mark Miller to email you and invite you. Um, (laughs) After you've written a Doctor Who episode he particularly enjoyed. Exactly. But, you know, that's not, you know, that's still part of a process, you know, which started way, way back with those very basic. Yeah. So... I'm being boring about craft here. Goodness!
0: To me, it's fascinating. So I'm. That's the, the silence is listening. It's not uh, yawning.
1: But I, I can hear. There's a, a bleep, bleep of a Nintendo DS there as well.
0: Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> oh, that's sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> always on. It's never <laughs> off. Come on. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm. I'm young and not. I don't have a good attention span. Anyway. Yeah. I. I think. Uh, I think we covered all the stuff that we've got going on. And and uh, anything else you want to add?
1: Just that I really, really appreciate everybody who's buying Cap. You know, it's gone way beyond the level we expected, and we'll just keep on doing our best to do this big, stonking superhero title every month. You know, that's what we're after. You guys making it pick of the week was one of the best moments for me for ages. I love that. Thank you so much. It was very good. Thank you for writing it. Well, you know, I'm reading so many titles because of you guys. You know, I'm reading Scalp now. You know, you've just turned me on to all sorts of things.
2: Well, that's a good question to ask. What, what What are the things you're enjoying right now? What are the What are your favorite things right now? Your books, oh, well, your
1: okay. apart from um, Buffy, um, I love Bendis. I, I think the, his Avengers books are terrific. What else is cool? What's cool that, that people... Um, I, I love Gail Simone's run on the Atom. Um, I think it's a pity that book is being allowed to be canceled. Um, I follow Gail on almost everything she does. I'm enjoying her Wonder Woman at the moment. Um... I really liked the first issue of 1985. Actually, I liked Old Man Logan more. I thought that was great. Mm. Josh, I didn't <laughs> love it. What do you want? Oh, and <laughs> if, you like, if you like Star Wars, Rob Williams, um, his Star Wars Rebellion for Dark Horse, always has really good photorealistic artists who can do the likenesses. And he's got a real sense of how a Star Wars story feels, you know, how it plays. And he's doing the... Um, the Indiana Jones upcoming for Dark Horse as well, so I think he's, uh, he's somebody to look out for.
2: Everybody tells us to read those Star Wars books. Yeah. <laughs> I yes, guess we should. Of-
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rebellion seems a nice entrance level title as well because I don't know anything about the details of the Star Wars universe and I really enjoy it.
0: Well, uh, thanks so much. It was It was actually very much fun talking to you i seem well,
1: surprised, but thank you. I,
0: I really, I really, I really like, and I think it shows that that there's sort of a lot of passion for the book that you're doing, and that to me is what makes good comic books. We always talk about seeing the love on the page and seeing the fact that you want to be doing, and it's not a work for hire thing.
1: Well, sure. Um, thank the British self-effacement always trips American interviewers up. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, um, but thank you very much, and I appreciate you guys' support of it. It's really welcome.
0: Well, well that's easy when it's good.
1: <laughs> Cheers. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Paul for being so gracious with his time and spending time with us. That was a lot of fun and uh, for doing good comics. Make sure you check out his work. Get over to ifanboy.com and chat about this and everything else that's over there. And we'll see you later. Thanks.